Thanks, Paul. Um, thank you for the introduction. Don't quite know how to respond to that, but it's great to be with you all this morning. Um, I've got a weird experience at the moment because I'm home alone because Robin's taking the kids away to her parents in Scotland for a few days. And so I'm getting used to the um, situation that lots of people have experienced during lockdown of having a very quiet life um, at home, which is very odd. And I'm like, it makes me very sympathetic to people that have, had, uh, that have been alone during lockdown because I'm I go a bit crazy after two days, which is a little bit worrying, but um, has meant that I could enjoy the test match yesterday. So, you know, pros and cons, but I'm um, really excited to be preaching to you all this morning. I'm going to try and share my screen. So I'm just going to try and set this up. Oh, no, it says host disabled participant screen sharing. So maybe I won't be sharing my screen. We should have probably tested that beforehand. Um, I'll go without sharing my screen for now. Um, Paul, if you solve it, just message me and we'll go from there. Um, so yeah, um, so I'm speaking this morning on our new series on the Beatitudes, which I'm really excited to be speaking about. I think um, when we were thinking about this series, there was so much that came out and just thinking, praying about it. And I'm speaking on the first one of these Beatitudes, which is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, now, the Beatitudes set out what God's kingdom is really like. And I think it's really important we think about this because we so often pray sort of god let your kingdom come oh i can share my screen now that's exciting so here we go there you go there you go so yeah so um i put this image in actually because i think for me this kind of sums up a little bit of the attitudes it's obviously a sort of version of jesus in sort of the che guevara communist style but actually i think the idea behind this um, image was about how revolutionary Jesus was and is and I think the Beatitudes really sum this up and um, like I was saying we so often pray God let your kingdom come and I think sometimes we forget what we're actually saying when we pray that and actually the real impact of what God's kingdom is like compared to the kingdoms of this world Jesus said that really clearly he said when he was before Pilate my kingdom is not of this world and it's not like any earthly kingdom it's not one or preserved by force but by self-sacrifice and love it's not about self-promotion but about service so in the world we we put so much emphasis on doing things our way and being in control of our destiny especially in sort of modern western culture think of that song that's often the most played song at funerals i did it my way and that's the complete opposite of what jesus comes in and talks about as a kingdom his kingdom is at odds with the world on every level it does flip society upside down and then when you look at the Beatitudes in Matthew, each of the first and the eighth one end with this, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And in the Greek language, that is kind of like in, enclosing the eight to show that all of them are about God's kingdom of heaven. And um, I think it's really easy to read these with a lot of complacency and forget how revolutionary what Jesus said was both then and still is today. And I think like actually the Sermon on the Mount was early on in Jesus's teaching, and this was the introduction to that. I think it's really good to imagine like how the crowds would have been responding when he spoke. I think and sometimes you sort of see these images and sort of, of all the crowds sitting there really quietly listening to Jesus and it's all quite, and it is all a little bit twee. But I think actually what he was saying would have really stirred people up. It would have been, it was a revolutionary way of speaking. And like ultimately what Jesus taught and how he ministered got him killed. It challenged massively the religious leaders and the powers and principalities of the day. And actually, if we're living a life in that way now, likewise, it challenges the cultures, the powers and the way of living now. And I think we have to remember that. I think it's really easy 
to try and adjust the kingdom of heaven and what Jesus taught to fit in with our society so we can kind of blend in and not have to stand against some of the things in our society. So we're looking today at blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does poor in spirit mean? I mean, I always think this is an interesting one because quite a lot of the other Beatitudes quite obvious what they mean, but I think this one to start with, it's kind of like, oh, is that even a good thing, poor in spirit? What does it actually mean? It can mean all sorts of things. Does it mean feeling of no worth, no value, that you're nothing? Is it the feeling of sort of no self-worth, low self-image? Um, or is it something to do with like being shy backwards? Is it sort of lacking in character? Is it being poor in spirit, being unspiritual or lacking in spiritual things? I'm going to say that it's none of these things, but I want to unpick that a little bit. Firstly, I think um, in terms of when I was preaching about this, I really got a strong sense that actually it's really easy to fall into a trap of even with poor in spirit thinking that we need to have no worth or no value. And I think that this is something that's a danger in our society so much. I unfortunately see in my work all the time, like for those of you who don't know, I'm manager in children's services, and I see so often the impact of children and young people having no sense, and adults before, having no self-worth, no value in themselves. And often that's come through a childhood that's been quite traumatic, parents not able to give them, not able, not willing to give them that love and value and what that grows into. And you see some of the big problems in our city, Paul was referring to in our society, like actually some of the criminal exploitation, gang culture that's going on in the city, actually some of the sexual exploitation that's been in the press around the country and how that comes out from those things of people searching for something to make them feel worthwhile. There's a quote that I am often used when I'm training social workers and it says, it says to develop normally, a child requires progressively more complex and joint activity with one or more adults who have an irrational emotional relationship with the child. Somebody's got to be crazy about the kid. That's number one, first, last, and always. And I love that. Someone's got to be crazy about the kid. And basically what that's saying is actually a normal parent is irrationally um, caring for their child. And actually every child needs that. Everyone needs someone that's irrationally crazy about them. And if they don't get that from maybe their biological parents or from foster carers or doctors or grandparents or something like that they're going to look for it somewhere and actually if it's not coming from somewhere positive somewhere someone negative is going to show that craziness about them and that's not going to be for a good reason so when we look at social work we talk about actually how we need to be building networks with young people where people are crazy about them in a positive way and um but actually when we're looking at it from a christian point of view we know exactly who's crazy about us so being poor in spirit isn't of being of no value because God is absolutely crazy about you. So in the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You are of utmost value to God so much that he stepped down from heaven and was willing to die on the cross because how much he values you. So this poor in spirit can't be about our value. It also can't be about an absence of self-worth for the same reason because God says that you're made in his image. Not only did he die for you, but he created you and put in you somewhere, somehow, his own stamp. It was in his image, sealed in his image. So what does being poor in spirit mean? Well, so when you look at the translation in Greek here, it's all about poor as in being beggarly poor. And um, I like them um, as agents, Tim, Rosie and Gracie showed us last week. They came with a little cup. I happen to have the same cup, which the kids are very excited about when they're watching last week. But Finley was like, oh, I've got that cup. And so... Um, it's about having an empty cup and coming before God in that beggarly attitude of actually, I'm empty, I need you. And so 
we could translate this first verse about um we could translate the first verse blessed are the poor in spirit as blessed are those who are so desperately poor in their spiritual resources that they realize they must have help from outside sources theirs is the kingdom of heaven this first one of the beatitudes sums up the whole gospel that whilst we're still sinners christ died for us just think how revolutionary this actually is we can just become so immune to this you had imagine the people at the time are desperately trying to keep the rules offer their sacrifices actually like many religions around the world today still promote trying to earn their place in the kingdom of heaven but jesus at the very start of his ministry blows this whole thing out of the water can you imagine what the religious leaders must be thinking now what do you mean we can't earn it we we keep the rules we do what you say and actually their power draining away because actually the fear be proud people unfortunately even how that still happens even in uh, christianity especially when people used to before martin luther came people were having to and sell and pay money to the pope to get their relatives into heaven when they were died and all this sort of stuff actually the abuse of power that comes from thinking that you can earn it you can pay for it anything like that but actually jesus blows that away i remember a few years ago having a conversation with a muslim colleague about grace and they couldn't understand the fact they didn't get their heads around the fact they just thought it was unfair and wrong but actually there was nothing that i had to do to earn a place in heaven that I couldn't work hard, I couldn't keep rules. And actually, if I did something awful, I didn't affect it either because it was about what God did. John Wesley describes this sort of thing about being poor in spirit a bit like this. This guy's a, um, he or she who has a deep sense of the loathsome leprosy of sin, which he brought from his mother's womb, which overspends his whole soul and totally corrupts every power and faculty thereof someone who realizes in the sight of God and biblically speaking what they are and what they are more important in the sight of God it's simply this it's a recognition of the need for God and it's really important that we don't mature past this bit of what Jesus teaches us I think it's easy to think yeah oh we are sinners and then Christ died for us and that's great and then we start to almost think we're contributing to our own salvation but actually this teaching reminds us not to do that that's a trap we fall into, but actually it's all about Jesus. And actually a bit like um, boastful sales earlier, that actually we need to boast in him, not boast in anything we do for ourselves. We've just done this series on David, haven't we? Who's described as a man after God's own heart. And um, in 2 Samuel, there's a reference to um, him thinking about his kingship. And he asks this question, who am I? Who is my family? What is my history? What have I that I should... Should commend me to the throne and to the royalty of Israel. And David understood really well that actually it wasn't because of him, it was because of God. There's a famous account in Luke 18, verses 10 to 14. It's a story Jesus told you um, of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And you probably know it, but it says two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus God, I thank you that I'm not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes, all of that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Could we be similar today? You know, could there be a Jesus comes down today, two men into church. One was a regular member and one was an outsider. The member stood and prayed. I thank thee that I'm not like these other 
denominations that don't take their faith seriously. Thank you that I'm not like the people in the world going out on Saturday nights getting drunk. I go to powerhouse, I go to small group, I give my offering faithfully, I've got all the Bethel worship albums, I have my Terry Virgo mug. Actually, I think it's really easy to start falling into traps like this. Actually, none of those things are wrong. Terry Virgo mug might be a bit weird, but none of those things are wrong. Actually, a lot of them are really good, but actually they're not the reasons that Jesus loves us. Actually, we've got to be really careful that we don't become full of pride and start to think that it's things we do are the reason God loves us. Do we do that or do we realise, as Spurgeon said, that the way to rise in the kingdom of God is to sink within ourselves and before others? I think in our society, we think so much about our rights and what we deserve, and this can penetrate what we think we're entitled to for God. It's really important, actually, that we realise that the only thing that we're entitled to is our wages from God, and the wages of our sin are death. That's our entitlement. So actually, let's not worry too much about what we're entitled to. Actually, let's think so much about the fact that we realise we can't save ourselves and God gives us something so much better. He gives us life and has it to the full. Actually, we get completely what we don't deserve. There's a really good example of this in one of my favourite books, The um, Great Divorce, and it's a book by C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia. And um, basically the story, it's a little bit strange, but the story is that um, a bunch of people in hell go on a bus trip to heaven and basically they get the chance to stay in heaven, but they meet people from their previous lives who are in heaven and basically have conversations and it challenges them about the reasons they're in hell and they have to sort of repent and go to heaven. Just to be clear, you don't actually get second chances after you die. But I think this is a really useful book to think about some of the reasons that actually people are in heaven and hell. And um, I'm gonna read a little conversation between two people for you. So I'll try vaguely to put on different voices so you know which one's which. I probably should have got two people to read this, but as I'm home alone, that becomes increasingly challenging. Um, so here we go. What I'd like to understand, said the ghost, is what you're here for. As pleased as punch, you're a bloody murderer. Well, I've been walking the streets down there and living in a place like a pigsty all these years. That is a little hard to understand at first but it's all over now. You'll be pleased about it presently. Till then, there's no need to bother about it. No need to bother about it? Are you ashamed of yourself? No, not as you mean. I do not look at myself. I have given up myself. I had to, you know, after the murder. That's what it did for me. And that was how everything began. Personally, said the great, the big ghost, with an emphasis which contradicted the ordinary meaning of the word. Personally, I would have thought that you and I ought to be the other way around. That's my personal opinion. Very likely we soon will be, said the other, if you stop thinking about it. Look at me now, said the ghost, slapping its chest, but the slap made no noise. I've gone straight all my life. I don't say I was a religious man. I don't say I had no faults. Far from it. But I've done my best all my life. See, I've done my best by everyone. That's the sort of chap I was. I never asked for anything that wasn't mine by right. If I wanted a drink, I paid for it. And if I took my wages, I'd done my job. See, that's the sort I was. I don't care who knows it. It'd be much better not to go on about that now. Who's going on? I'm not arguing. I'm just telling you the sort of chap I was. I'm asking for nothing but my rights. You may think you can put me down because you're dressed up like that, which you weren't when you were worked under me, by the way. And I'm only a poor man. But I've got to have my rights, same as you. Oh, it's not as bad as that. I haven't got my rights. Or I should not be here. You'll not get yours, neither. you get something far better. Never fear. That's just what I say. I haven't got my rights. I've always done my best. I've never done anything wrong. And what I don't see is why I should be put below a bloody murderer like you. 
you know, whether you will be, only be happy and come with me. What do you keep arguing for? I'm only telling you the sort of chap I am. I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity. Then do. At once, ask for bleeding charity. Everything is here for asking and nothing can be bought. That may do very well for you, I dare say. If you choose, if they choose to let in a bloody murder all because he makes a poor mouth at the last minute, that's their lookout. But I don't see why myself getting in the same boat as you see. Why should I? I don't want charity. I'm a decent man. I've had my rights. I've been here long ago. And you can say, tell them so. And so we look at that story. And I think it's really challenging. I think it challenges me. Like, you look at the thief on the cross next to Jesus. When you turn to Jesus, and because he believed, believed in him, Jesus said would be with him in paradise. Actually, do we really understand the fact that it's all about him? that actually we can't do anything to deserve our place with him. And actually neither should we try. And actually if people turn to him on their deathbeds, despite the most hideous things they may have done, if they call out like that sinner does in the story he tells about two people praying, they beat their chest and realize actually the wretchedness of their sin, then actually they'll be before him and with him in paradise. I think it's really helpful as we start this series on the Beatitudes, and I think we've seen this in this COVID period too, just to realise that actually we need to strip everything away. I think Jesus is working on us to strip things away that are, we've built up, whether it's our things in our lives, material things, whether it's actually our sense of self-entitlement, um, our sense of our rights, and actually have those things stripped away. It's interesting just seeing the world respond to COVID and how angry people are that actually their normal world is being changed. And actually this is part of that actually we don't have the right to those things actually the only right we have is to be judged fairly by god and actually we thankfully jesus has paid the price so we don't have to have that in the way that we should i'm going to just finish with some hymn um lines from a hymn which i think spoke to me it says this nothing in my hands i bring just think about that and reflect on nothing in my hands i bring i'm empty with nothing that we can offer god simply to thy cross i cling this morning, think about what else are you clinging to? Are you clinging to the cross? Or are you clinging to other things that you think are going to save you? Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, saviour, or I die. We've got one thing that we need to do at the moment, and that is come empty before God and just call out to him. If you're in a situation this morning where you think, actually, I've started relying on myself, then let's repent of that this morning. You're actually, God, it's all about you. If there's sin in your life that you need to repent for, let's get right with God before that. Dan's going to come back now, and we're going to sing together Amazing Grace to finish the morning. And let's just reflect on those words like that and remember that it's all about his grace. And that's a great place to start this series over the summer. <laughs>